Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. this morning. I'm not going to take the time to review uh, what we really what we were in this morning, but just brief uh, for those of you that were not here. Uh, when we come to 2 Timothy chapter number 4, we realize that we come to a passage of Scripture in which uh, this, is the, uh, this is the conclusion of the second epistle that Paul wrote to this young man, his young protege in the faith, Timothy. We realize that this is the last book that he, or excuse me, the last words that he would ever pen that God would ever lead him to uh, inspire or to pen as far by way of inspired scripture and so we come to this passage there's a lot of weight uh, that can be found in this chapter because what we find is is that when Paul laid his pen down these were the last words that he would ever record in his lifetime before he lost his life as a martyr for the faith before he was beheaded for the cause of Christ and so as we read these words we realize that these were the faults that was on that great man of God's heart and mind as he was leaving this world. And so we see that. <coughs> we talked about... <coughs> How between verse number one through five we find what uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy to do, telling him to how about to be, uh, telling him how to be steadfast in the gospel ministry that he has called him to be a part of, that he is charging him to preach the word in verse number two, to be instant in season, out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine that the doctrine needed to be preached, Amen, and it needed to be done. So in long suffering because verse 3 says that there's a time according to this time in scripture that is coming when men will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and I've said this this morning but I believe we're in those days today amen I believe that there are ear tickling preachers and ear tickling churches amen and those are being flocked to by the droves this evening but somebody that will preach Bible doctrine and they'll do so in with long suffering but they will still reprove and they still will rebuke and it's not all exhortation but there is some exhortation. Those are the churches where uh, folks are not necessarily as interested in being a part of in this day. Amen. Well, I will say this though. I am amazed and I do thank God uh, for those that do want to be a part of a real church. Amen. And serve the Lord in a real church. Amen. Uh, so we see that. But then in verse number 6 through 8 we see not only uh, why or what uh, Paul told Timothy he needed him to do. But in verse 6 through uh, 8 we find why uh, Paul tells Timothy he needs to do it. Because Paul, after an illustrious ministry that has many accolades of God using him in power, uh, now is about to exit the scene. He is about to depart. He is about to be as a man bore, uh, aboard a ship. And he's about to sail for another shore. Amen. As we mentioned this morning. 
everything. And so as he tells Timothy of what he needs him to do, and as he's about to leave this world and lose his life, how he needs Timothy to pick up the mantle and continue on, even with uh, his mentor gone, uh, he tells Timothy about something uh, that has taken place in the days that he is alive and in the days of his ministry. Verse number 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He talks about the fight. He calls it a good fight. And he's telling Timothy, as we've already said, especially when we mention verse 15, that Paul's heart is to let Timothy know, amen, that not only did Paul fight, but that Timothy was going to have to fight, and he was going to tell him what he needed to expect in the fight of the good fight of faith in his life and ministry that is just beginning for the Lord. And so we began uh, this series of messages talking about how we can expect adversaries in the fight. Verse 7, he says, I have fought every fault that's ever been, every fight that's ever been fought had adversaries or else it wouldn't be a fight. And so we talked about how Paul talks about these adversaries, these enemies that Timothy's going to face. He had to deal with the adversary of powers. We saw that about the principalities and the powers of Satan and those forces of hell and how the devil was going to use uh, his powers at his disposal to try to get them uh, to, uh, to, to stop fighting. Amen. And to not go forward. Amen. But to be knocked out of this good fight. Amen. And to be uh, overcome by that, that adversary, the devil, that as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. One that uses seducing spirits and doctrines of devils to try to get the church of the living God, amen, to stop doing what he would have for them to do. And so we saw the adversary of powers. And then we saw throughout First uh, and Second Timothy that Paul constantly referred to Timothy to not only an adversary of powers, but an adversary of people. How there will be people with an assignment from hell uh, to hinder the work of God. We talked about the shipwrecked people, Hymenaeus and Alexander. We talked about the splitting people, Phygelus and Hermogenes. We talked about the straying people, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And then we talked about the set person, Alexander the coppersmith, mentioned in these verses. Amen. This morning we talked about not only uh, the adversary of powers and the adversary of people, but this morning we talked about how Paul had to deal with the adversary of pain. Amen. How he didn't let the pain that he dealt with and the shipwrecks and the strives and the thorn and the flesh and all that he dealt with uh, stop him in the ministry. Uh, keep him from doing what God would have for him to do and tug, tell and run. Amen. But, but, but how God created in him an attitude. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 12 that he would glory in his infirmities that the power of Christ would rest upon him. Amen. And so we saw the adversaries of the fight. <clears throat> but tonight I want us to see this second thought and this last thought this evening. Not only can we expect in the good fight of faith some adversaries of the fight, but I believe we can also, we can also expect some advantages in the fight. Notice what he says here in verse 7. I told you this is not going to be complicated exposition. We're only preaching on two words. And be honest with you, it's not even homiletically, uh, uh, what Bible colleges say, homiletically appropriate, because I, pre I preach the word fault first. But if you look at verse number 7, when he says, I have 
fault. I would say that tells us that Paul's had some advantages. He said, I have fought a good fight. Notice this, I have finished my course. Notice this, I have kept the faith. In other words, even though there was an adversary, even though there was an adversary of powers that he had to contend against, even though there were some people that had become an adversary of people against him that the devil had put in place to try to hinder him, and even though there was pain that had come into his life that separated his ministry apart from all of his other contemporaries and all of his other compatriots Paul dealt with things that no one else even in his day was having to deal with because of what how God wanted to use him he did not let the fight and the adversaries that had came against him and caused this to be a real fight of faith he never let it cause him to stop and to quit and to get out amen not just are we seeing amen that we must not do that Paul Paul said that the fight is in the past for me. The, 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 the course that I have had to finish is in the past for me. I've made it through. God's given the victory. And just like God, amen, would tell us through his word that there's adversaries that we're going to have to fight and we're going to have to face. I came here tonight to encourage some people, amen, that even though you may be fighting some of the worst fights of your life and be in some of the toughest battles of your life. Amen. There will be a day by the help and the grace of God if you keep on going for the Lord where you'll be able to look back and say I have fault. God's given the victory. God's allowed me to see the other side. He's allowed me to get over the troubled sea and over to the shore. Amen. He's allowed me to see the sunshine over the storm. He says, I have fault. Tonight, I want to share with you out of this passage and a couple of others tonight, some of the advantages that we get in a fight. Let me say this before we do. If Paul is able to truly say, no doubt the scripture's true, so we know that he's able to truthfully say this, to say, I have fault. It means that the fight, there is a past. Now, I understand until we leave this world, we never stop fighting the devil. Amen. But what, in other words, what he's trying to encourage Timothy is that the main thrust of that fight for me, I'm looking at the end. I'm about to cross the finish line. I'm about to depart. And God's brought me thus far safe and sound in my journey. Amen. And the same Paul that started out in the ministry, it's the same Paul that is going to finish. Amen. He started well and he's about to finish well when he crosses the finish line. Amen. But in order for you to be able to say that, in order for there to be a day where you look back and the fight, at least the majority of the fight, amen, is behind you when you get ready to leave this world and cross the finish line. There's only one way that's possible. There's only one way that the, that the, the adversary of life don't cause you uh, to sink underneath uh, their oppression. That doesn't cause you to fail. And that means that God has given you something that caused you to get the upper hand in the fight. 
There had been order for you to have victory, amen, in a fight, amen, in a battle, in a warfare. Somebody's got to get the advantage somewhere. Amen. Every war we've ever fought and won, there was a turning point. As far as my life, uh, y'all know I'm from the, originally from the very small town of Calpin, South Carolina. If you study the Revolutionary War, you'll find out that the little town in which I was born and raised in, that battlefield that's just, that was just a couple of miles down the road from where I was reared and raised, that was the turning point of the American Revolution. It's a, the turning point. That was where the, the, the revolutionaries, the American patriots, began to see some advantages on their end that the British didn't have on their end. If you, if you study uh, Civil War, you'll find out that there uh, was advantages that took place at each of the victories, amen, uh, that we see that caused the uh, result to be uh, what it was, amen. Uh, and so if there is a warfare at some point for victory to be won, there has to be one side gets an advantage over the other side that causes them to be able to say, I have fault. Let me give you some of these advantages tonight. Go with me, please. Well, let, let, let me begin here. Let's look at our text. Let me say this this evening. Notice the advantages of our warfare. The first thing I want to mention tonight out of our passage here in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, if you'll notice, amen, once you get into verse number 9, throughout the rest of the chapter, you cannot help but notice a myriad of names being mentioned. He tells Timothy in verse number 9, now I've always found this verse to be interesting. Paul has just said that he's about to cross the finish line. And his next instruction to Timothy is to do thy diligence to come unto me shortly. In other words, he knew he was facing the end, but Paul wasn't done yet. That's right, right. This is the last recorded words that we have in Scripture of the Apostle Paul. But if Timothy was able to make it uh, to, where, uh, to where Paul was, if he was able to make it as, as, he, as Paul uh, requests uh, later on in this passage, amen, if he was able to come before winter, amen, if he was able to do that. No doubt Paul would have some other words to share with Timothy. He talks about, in a, in a negative way, he talks about Demas in verse 10, how he needed Timothy, his fellowship, because Demas had forsaken him, having loved this present world. And there's a lot of preaching that I could do there, but I don't have time to do this evening. Amen. I'd love to just preach on Demas tonight and him leaving for the world. Amen. But Paul said, Timothy, I need you because I've been forsaken. Demas has left me. He has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And then it says this, and it's departed to Thessalonica. By the way, that is that Thessalonica is a city that when Paul went through there, they ran him out of town. This man that would have been a laborer with Paul ran to a city when he got carnal and he got when he compromised and he went to the world. He went back to the city that he knew of in Paul's ministry, perhaps where they hated him the most. And isn't it amazing that God took individuals, saved them, as saved their soul in that city, and gave us two epistles in our New Testament written to that crowd. But he says this in verse 10. 
He said, Cretans to Galatia. Cretans is someone that served with the Apostle Paul. Titus to Dalmatia. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. He talks about Carpus in verse number 13. In verse number 19, he talks about Prisca and Aquila. He talks about the household of Anesiphorus. He talks about Erastus. He talks about Trophimus. He talks about uh, he talks about Eubulus. He talks about Pudens. He talks about Linus. He talks about Claudia and all the brethren. Amen. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. Amen. Even though he's facing the end. Even though he's headed for the finish line. Even though he's had some folks that have forsaken him and left for the world. Amen. And even though in this moment outside of one trusted free, he finds himself all alone. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying in these words and in the giving of these names there are still some people amen that have allowed me to get to this place that have found themselves in my life even while I was fighting amen the good fight of faith even while there were adversaries that were oppressing me that was oppressing me sore. He said there was some men and there were some ladies that locked arms with me and became fellow uh, soldiers and became fellow workers and fellow laborers. Amen. They worked together and we can, I'll say this this evening when it comes to our trouble and it comes to our adversaries take advantage in this fact. Child of God you're not without support. He mentions those who had been a support to him. He asked Timothy in verse 9 to come to him and to come before winter later on in this passage because he needed Timothy to be a support system to him. Demas left, one that he had once called a fellow laborer, and then in Colossians chapter number 4 just simply mentions him as Demas, but still a part of those that served with Paul. And now Demas has left, and he needs Timothy's support, and he reminds himself of all of those those who have left. Amen. But notice verse number 10. Demas has left. He's not the only person in verse 10 that's mentioned as having left. But the others mentioned in this passage, Cretans and, and Titus, they've left Paul, but they have not left for the world. They've left for the work. Amen. They left to continue on and to do what God would have for them to do. Amen. Let me tell you this. If you're going to leave the house of God, you better leave to do the work of God. Amen. And not leave for the world. If you're going to move your membership somewhere else, you better make sure that you're leaving for a work and you're not leaving for the world. Every church I've ever been to, I've always left because there was work to do. Amen. I'm, I'm a member. Amen. A proud member. Member, hey, 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 thankful member of Beacon Baptist Church, but I didn't leave Resurrection Baptist Church in Calpin, South Carolina, just to go out in the world and join up with some liberal outfit and some ungodly outfit. No, I left for the work. Amen. Amen. You better make sure you leave for the work. Amen. These were supporters in Paul's ministry. Can I say this? You and I are not without support. You say, preacher, where does our support come from? I believe our support comes from the people of God. Amen. Yes. Go with me to Colossians chapter number 4. The account in Colossians chapter number 4 takes place before 
the chronological time frame of our passage in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. But notice what the Bible here says, and I'm going to have to hurry through some of these. But notice what he says here in Colossians 4 verse 7. The Bible says this. I still hear pages turning. I don't want to run off without you. Amen. I'm not, I'm not too much on a time limit, but when I'm preaching, amen, I, I, I get it in fast gear. Amen. 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 I preach fast. I just don't preach quick. Amen. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> Look at verse 7. <clears throat> Notice this, Colossians 4, 7, Paul here is speaking. He says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you. Who is, notice these words now. By the way, he mentions Tychicus in the other, other passage that we mentioned. He says, all my state, my affairs, if you will, shall Tychicus declare unto you, declare unto this church at Colossae. Who is, notice how Paul describes him, a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Notice verse 8, he says, Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your state and comfort your hearts. In this Colossians 4 account of those that stood with Paul, Paul talks about a couple of men that I'm calling tonight his relaying partners. He mentions Tychicus in verse 7 and 8. Look at verse 9. He says, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, he's one of the Colossians, he says, They, talking about Tychicus and Onesimus, shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Let me ask you this. That name Onesimus sound familiar to any of you? If you've ever read the book of Philemon, Onesimus was a runaway slave that the, that the Bible says that he came in contact with the Apostle Paul, got born again, and now we find Paul mentioning him among the fellow servants, amen, that is a faithful and beloved brother. If you want to talk about in the life of a man of God, a support and an encouragement, amen, uh, to this man of God, the Apostle Paul, be, to be able to talk about these relying partners or relaying partners rather, where he says that both of them are faithful. Amen. Right. You want to know the way you can encourage your pastor more than anything else? Be faithful. Yes, sir. Be faithful to church. Be faithful to your walk with God. Be faithful to the areas of the ministry uh, that you have engaged in. If you want to be an encouragement, be faithful. You want to see the blessings of God in your life? Be faithful to the part of the wall of the ministry that God has put you in. Be faithful. He says here that Tychicus and Onesimus were faithful in the fact that they were going to to relate to others how Paul was doing and the state of the ministry. And notice what the Bible says here about uh, Tychicus in particular. He says, I've sent him unto you that for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Can I ask you this this evening? How many Tychicuses do we have in church? To where if, if there was somebody that needed encouragement, that you could be the one that would be dispatched to be a comforter to them, to be an encourager to them. 
Here, Antiochus is part of that support system. Onesimus is part of that support system. We see the relaying partners. But then let me say this. I want to say something about a reliable partner. Look at verse 10. He talks about Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. He said, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. That means Aristarchus is in prison too with the Apostle Paul. They're fellow prisoners together. You say, preacher, you called him a reliable partner. Yes, because Aristarchus' name comes up often when you study the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. If you to go back to Acts chapter number 19, verse 26 through 29, you don't have to do that. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. But Aristarchus is seen there in Acts 19, 26 through 29, standing with Paul, uh, standing side by side, the Apostle Paul, when Paul faced a mob that wanted to kill him. I'd say that's a reliable ministry partner. If you're willing to stand side beside the man of God, amen, when a mob wants to come kill him, I'd say you're pretty reliable in his heart. Amen. Also, Acts 27, amen. Y'all know that's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts. Amen. Acts 27, we find Aristarchus along with Luke standing with the apostle Paul on the ship during the shipwreck. He was still faithful. He was reliable. He was willing to go to prison, even with the Apostle Paul. Let me ask you, are you a relaying partner? Are you a reliable partner in the ministry? Here, you say, preacher, why are you asking us that? Paul is saying that these were his, this was his support system in his ministry. These were his fellow laborers. And as Paul needed them as beloved brothers and faithful fellow servants, amen, to do what they were doing, there's others that need you as a support system. Can I say this? You may not think that anybody else in this church needs you, but I'll be, I, I will submit to you without hesitation, your pastor needs you. Yes, I need your support system. You, you may not think so, but you need me, and I need you. We need each other, and the work of the ministry. It's good to know we're not without support, but we better make sure that we are supporting each other. Amen. The best thing you have in your life is a relationship with a local church and a church family and a family of believers in your life. It's better than any ball team that you could ever be on or cheer for. It's better than any worldly amusement. It's better than any, it's better than any sorority or fraternity. Amen. Whatever you think is important in this life. Amen. Having a relationship with a local Bible-believing Baptist church, it's more important than anything else. You say, why? Because at the house of God, amongst the people of God, you find the support you need to go on for God Amen. in life. Amen. We find a relaying partner, a reliable partner. I want to say this, verse 10, we find a restored partner. Verse 10. Yep. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you and Marcus. Sister, son to Barnabas. Remember Barnabas is mentioned there. Paul and Barnabas started out together. If you were to talk about the early days of the Apostle Paul's ministry, his main support system was Barnabas. Till he, one day him and Barnabas had a falling out. Amen. And they had a falling out, a falling out over this young nephew of Barnabas by the name of Marcus. Other places in the scripture you'll find him referred to as Mark. He, he is the one that is responsible for the gospel of Mark in your Bible. Yes, 
If you go back to our text in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, one of the most blessed things that's mentioned about Mark in the Bible is what is said in verse number 11 of 2 Timothy 4, where Paul said, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. The reason why Barnabas and Paul had a split is because Mark left, amen, in the midst of the ministry. And Paul said, there is no profit in Mark. There's nothing that he could do to help us with the ministry. But now, after, amen, many uh, uh, much time, amen, there's something that's happened in Mark's life that has now taken what that was unprofitable and made him profitable for the ministry. And now we find someone who was completely uh, unable uh, to even be a blessing to Paul now is being included in the list of his fellow uh, fellow soldiers, his support system, a restored partner. Do you know here at this church, we have a clause in our bylaws concerning how to become a member of this church? Amen. By the way, I think that's important. You can become a member of this church by statement of faith, stating that you have been saved by the grace of God, and therefore you receive your membership in the church by statement of faith. You can become a member of this church by baptism, by some being not, not being a member of another church, and having been saved, and then following the Lord in believers' baptism, and wanting to join uh, by baptism. You can join this church by a letter, by a transfer of letter from another Bible-believing church or another church to become part of this church. Amen. We coordinate with that church. We get a letter and we bring it uh, to this church. You can join from another church. But then did you know that there is another way you can join Beacon Baptist Church? You read our bylaws. You can, re you can, you can join this church by way of restoration. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Someone that has had to be under church discipline because they wouldn't deal with sin in their life or they had some kind of scandal or some kind of something where the only choice we had was to say, you cannot live that way and be a member here. It's causing damage to the church and to the people in this church and we have to remove you from membership. But if there comes a time where you get right with God and you want to come back and be restored to this fellowship, you can be. You can join the church by restoration. I believe God believes in restoration. Amen. I believe we have a God that smiles upon restoration. Here we find even someone that needed to be restored. The Bible says in Colossians 4 that he was encouraged to receive him. Look at verse 10. Mark, his sister, son of Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments. If he come unto you, receive him. He's profitable for the ministry. We see a relaying, a relaying partner. We see a reliable partner. We see a restored partner. I want to say this. We see a reclusive partner. Look at verse number 11. And Jesus, <clears throat> which is called Justice. By the way, that's not the Lord Jesus. It's a popular name. Amen. Who are of the circumcision. When he says who are of the circumcision, he's talking about, he's talking about in particular, uh, he, he's talking about uh, this justice, he's talking about Barnabas, or excuse me, Marcus and Aristarchus here, those that were of the circumcision. He, but he says, he says this about Jesus, which is called justice. He mentions his name 
and you will not find his name appear anywhere else in the scripture. All we know about this man is that he had a legal name, he had a surname that he was called by, Justice, and then on top of that, that he is listed as part of Paul's ministry partners. I say that he is a reclusive partner because this is the only time that Paul's partner, Justice or Jesus here, is mentioned in the scriptures. He served God and God's man without notoriety. He was humble. He was a humble servant working behind the scenes. And though his ministry was reclusive, God was still using him. And one of the main ways God used him was to support the Apostle Paul. We go on in verse number 12. I, I have so much I could preach. But look at verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring, notice this here, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. There is a relaying partner. There is a reliable partner. There is a restored partner. There is a reclusive partner. But then there is also a requesting partner. You say, how did Epaphras support the Apostle Paul? He did it in probably one of the most important ways you can support a ministry. He did it in his prayers. He prayed persistently. The Bible said that he was always laboring in prayer. He did so purposely. The Bible said that he prayed that ye might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And he did so passionately. The Bible says that he prayed fervently for you in prayers. Can I ask you this tonight? How are you going to support someone else in this building? How are you going to support the work of God done here at Beacon Baptist Church? Do you do so in your prayers? Are you, a, are you a requesting partner? Do you spend time and request God's assistance in the life of the brothers and sisters that are in here, part of this church family, or for the church? Amen. And lastly, I'll say this. We see a remaining partner. Look at verse 14. He says, Luke... The beloved physician. We also see Demas here greeting him. But according to 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 11, Paul said this. By the time he got to the end, he said, only Luke is with me. Can I say this? He is a remaining partner. When no one else was, there, was able to be there with Paul, Luke was there to remain he was there standing by the side of the Apostle Paul. And let me ask you this tonight. Can you be someone, hey, we're fighting a fight. We are fighting a tough battle. There's, there's forces at work, forces of hell that want to cause us to quit and get out of the race and stop doing anything for Jesus and say, stay so discouraged and depressed and downcast to where you can't lift your head up in praise or in prayer to God to where you just feel so low down and rotten that you'll never be able to do anything for God and you stay so depressed you'll never be able uh, to have confidence in what the Lord can use your life to do and to do in your life. Can I ask you this evening, even though that's a very real thing about the adversaries that we face, amen, who uh, can rely in this church and in your life, amen, for you to be that one to where if no one else is there for them and if no one else will support them. And if no one else will encourage them, and no one else will I pray for them, that you will. 
We need each other. But one of the main advantages we have in this life is in the people of God. We are not without support. We need each other in this church. Can I say this this evening? I've got, I've got to say I've got to say this and move on. Look with me at Hebrews chapter number ten. I have to say this, not a part of my notes, but I have to say this. <clears throat> I know these last several weeks, even last couple of months, we've had a lot going on here at the church. I know there's a lot of people that's been sick, a lot of people have been traveling, a lot of people had all kinds of things going on. As your pastor, and I know preachers, we get a bad rap for repeating this and, and preaching this and preaching this and preaching this all the time. But I want to remind you why when it comes Sunday morning, Sunday, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other time the doors are open, why you need to be here. It's because the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, it says here, notice this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, encouraging, edifying one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. When I mentioned just a minute ago that the times that shall come have come, according to the first few verses of 2 Timothy 4, and I made that statement that I believe those times where people will not hear sound dog but will heave themselves teachers having itching ears being a sign of the last days and I said I believe they're here just about everybody in this building said amen you know what you, you know what that means to me that everybody in this church has an awareness that the day is approaching but yet our churches are emptier than they've ever been if everybody in our congregation was here tonight we'd have very few of these seats left open Especially, we've had several visitors today. And I'm not talking about people who can't be here. I'm not talking about the sick. I'm not talking about those that if you, if, you're, if you say, I'm going to church, your boss would fire you, and you don't have a way to provide for your family. Although my personal opinion is, if that's where you are in your work relationship, you can stay there, but I wouldn't be content staying there. I'd prayerfully be searching for something else. And, let, and by the way, if God commands you to be here, He'll provide a way for you to be here. Amen. Amen. Skipping church, that verse says... For any reason, not not being sick, not being providentially hindered, not being in not not being in work where you can't get out, the occasional vacation. But I'll say this: if you go on vacation and you're not in church somewhere, you have violated that verse just like you didn't show up to church here. And I know who I'm talking to, because I, I hey, your pastor's on Facebook. Did y'all know that? When y'all go on vacation and y'all post during church time about you being here, there, and everywhere, guess who sees that? I do. You know what I do? I've never came to anybody in this church and fussed at anybody. You know what I do? I pray for you. If you're not in church on vacation, you've sinned against God. And until you confess that, you'll never be right with God. The Bible said not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And if you're not assembling here, you ought to be assembling with God's people somewhere. Amen. Forsaking means I could have gone. I had a way to go. There's a possibility I could have been there, and I didn't. That's what forsaking is. You say, preacher, why is that so important? Number one, forsaking the house of God is a sin against God. Just like any other sin, if it's left unconfessed, you'll never be right with God until you do. But then, the support thing I'm preaching on tonight. 
He said, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, what are you supposed to do? You are to be here because by your presence it exhorts, it encourages, it edifies. It's a blessing to everyone else. You say, preacher, uh, why is it every time you we come to church, you always say over and over and over again from the pulpit, thank you for being in church because it's encouraged me by you being here. Amen. This church doesn't always have to be full for me to be encouraged. I will say this though, when it is, guess who's encouraged? Yes, sir. Guess who's encouraged? If we, don't, if we don't take the fellowship that we get here and the support system we get here seriously, amen, we'll, we'll be engaged in sin. We need each other. We need the support, amen. We're not without advantages. We're not without support from the people of God. Write this down and I'm done. I'm not going to preach these. Number two, not only are we not without support, that comes from the people of God. But if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're not without security. That comes from the protection of God. If you study Ephesians chapter number 6, we have armor that's been given to us. We have an access by prayer that's been given us. God has given us a way of protection to where we don't have to lose heart and we don't have to be defeated. We can have victory in the good fight of faith. Lastly, I'll say this. No, we're not without support. That comes from the people of God. We're not without security. That comes from the protection of God. Go with me to Revelation chapter number 19. We will not be without success. That comes from the pages of God. Revelation chapter number 19, verse number 11. You can catch up when you get there. Revelation 19, 11 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. By the way, that's Jesus. Amen. Right. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his heads were many crowns. And he had a name written that knew no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed. Hallelujah. Amen. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And notice this now. The armies which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. If you take fine linen, white and clean, run it through the book of the Revelation, you'll find out that it describes the church of the living God. It is a description to the saint, to a believer. Amen. These armies that's coming behind the Lord on white battle stallions here, clothed in fine linen, clean and white. If you're saved by the grace of God, you'll be in that number. Amen. I told, I told you, we're not without support. That comes from the people of God. We're not without security. That comes from that Ephesians 6 armor comes from the protection of God, but hallelujah, we will not be without success. Amen. Amen. We're fighting, we have adversaries, but you can be advantageous to have this perspective that you will not lose. You cannot lose. You cannot lose when the victory's already been won. The Bible says that we, amen, have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have already had, we already have success in the Bible. The pages of the Word of God tell us that. Notice what he goes on to say here. He, the Lord comes. He comes with us. Amen. Right. Notice this. <clears throat> and out of his mouth 
goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. By the way, that's not a tattoo. Amen and amen. King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, and saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together on the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sat on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Amen. By the way, that's the armies of Jesus. That's the, that's the excuse me, the enemies of Jesus that he is getting victory over with just a spoken word out of his mouth. Amen. Notice what he goes on to say. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies, all of those countries that have come and aligned themselves with the Antichrist to battle against the Lord, he says, uh, to gather together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. That's Jesus and that's us. Amen. And the beast, the Antichrist was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, uh, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake burning with fire and brim stone, and the remnant was slain with the sword of thee that sat upon the horse with sword, and with sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Amen. Go with me to Revelation chapter number 20. All of the enemies of God have been defeated by our Lord, and we're standing there. We're riding with him in victory. Amen. Look at verse number 20. By the way, remember how I began the message? Talking about the adversary that we have, and the adversary of powers, and how yes there is the principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world that are on a mission from the devil himself, the greatest adversary that we have. Notice where Revelation 20 says, verse number 10, I love this, and the devil that deceived them. Who was the them? You and me and everybody else that was part of the human race. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. <coughs> I told you... <clears throat> I didn't turn to it in my Bible. I had it printed in my notes. But I told you in my Bible next to those verses, I have written, Goodbye, devil. <laughs> the greatest adversary we ever have, Brother Tommy. On that day, from the pages of the Word of God, Brother Lewis, the, the Bible says that Jesus has promised us that we will be successful because He defeats the devil. The one truest adversary we have, the one that we battle with and contend against, the one that got all of this started for us, the tempter, amen, the one that brings all of the troubles that we deal with as sinful humanity, amen, that very one, the Savior that we linked up with the day we gave our heart to Jesus. Amen. And when we gave, became part of his family, we were put in his army and we'll stand behind him as he defeats not only the armies of the, uh, the armies of the world uh, that have aligned themselves with the Antichrist and with the false prophet, but the one that's given us the most trouble will have to one day realize that it's all over for him. And we'll stand behind the Lord.
And we'll realize for the rest of eternity, Satan loses, Jesus wins, and we are on the winning side. We're not without success, friend. We will not be without success. And as you have those hard days where you have to deal with the adversary of powers, and no doubt you will, when you have to deal with the adversary of people, and no doubt you will, when you have to deal with the adversary of pain in your life, and no doubt you will, remember, you have the people of God as a support system. You have protection from God that will be a security to you. And you have the pages of the Word of God that promises that we will not be without success. When you're wondering, am I going to lose this thing? Remember, the victory's already been won. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website bbclexington.com. When the rolling call of ya.